The New York Times thinks John Fetterman, yes, that John Fetterman, is stylish. Biden officials are snatching ladies' luggage, and the COVID fear pornographers want you to believe being unvaccinated puts you at a higher risk for car accidents. Yeah, it's time for my losers of the week. Narrowing down my list of losers this week was a real challenge, let me tell you. We have a shortage of a lot of things in this country, like baby formula, workers, and normal people. But I can tell you what we are not in short supply of, losers and illegal immigrants. But here are my top three this week. First up, the New York Times, for a lot of reasons, but specifically for this. Now, I beg to differ on damn near all 93 of these selections, but specifically this selection, John Fetterman. Now, not only is this man incoherent and totally undeserving of a seat on the U.S. Senate, he's also definitely not, in any way, shape, or form, a pillar of style and fashion. You're seriously telling me the newspaper of record wants us to believe Uncle Fester in a hoodie is in the top 93 most stylish people? You know, I say this with love and compassion, but did the collective staff over at the New York Times also suffer from a massive stroke? Because that's the only way this makes sense. But you know what does make sense? That this non-binary holds a top position within the Biden administration. Meet 35-year-old Sam Brinton, the non-binary they-them, who happens to be the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition. That means he was responsible for nuclear fuel and radioactive waste. Comforting. The bar is low over there at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They don't fill positions based on qualifications. They fill them like they're casting for a Disney movie. But why is this thing stealing freaking suitcases? And that's plural because he has now been caught stealing again, this time a designer suitcase filled with jewelry at the Las Vegas airport. Now, his first heist was at the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport where he snatched a woman's Vera Bradley suitcase off the luggage carousel and walked off. Dude, ma'am, whatever you are, it's 2022. If you want to steal women's clothing so badly, just put your mask on and raid a Victoria's Secret in the blue crime-filled city of your choice because you'll fit right in. I, for one, will now be watching that carousel like a hawk for fear a Biden official is there and on the take. So gird your loins and your luggage, ladies. But on to my third loser of the week, the American Journal of Medicine, which I assume was at one point a respected medical publication. But as for now, well, now they are publishing studies that would have you believe being un-COVID vaxxed is a roadway danger. They found that the unvaccinated people were 72% more likely to be involved in a severe traffic crash in which at least one person was transported to the hospital than those who were COVID vaccinated. You know, I'm no medical researcher, but sure seems like one hell of a stretch to make there. But I will tell you this, I'd rather get in a fender bender than have a heart attack or die suddenly, so I'll take my chances being unjabbed. Thank you very much. Now, typically I only have three losers of the week, but I had to add an honorable mention this week because, well, it's just too funny not to. My honorable loser of the week is Joe Biden, who reportedly is sick and tired of people bringing up his age. Earlier this week, Politico reported that our illustrious president has vented to allies about how much his age is discussed in the media. He reportedly ranted to an acquaintance saying, you think I don't know how effing old I am? Well, Joe, let me clear it up. No, we are not sure if you know how old you are because we aren't even confident you know who and where you are much of the time. Joe Biden is 80, but he doesn't look or sound a day over 125. 
Still ahead, if you think the crime wave in California is bad now, wait till you hear what the state is on the verge of doing. Resiliency Project's Nick Wilson joins me next with the shocking details. California is a mess, and California is ground zero for the culture of lawlessness that's now sweeping the nation. But it, you think with all the problems that state has, it'd treat its law enforcement officers better than its thugs and felons, but no, wrong -o. And things are about to get even worse because Governor Newsom signed SB2 into law earlier this year. It'll not only make the job of a peace officer harder, it'll expose them to a whole new level of BS. Joining me now is a man who has dedicated his life to law enforcement and the officers that do the job, the Resiliency Project's founder, Nick Wilson. Nick, it's always great to talk to you, and you and I communicate on Instagram, and you sound the alarm of the things going on in California as I fled that state about three years ago. But I'm still very concerned about what law enforcement is going through in that state. I think maybe the worst state in the nation as far as the treatment of law enforcement. I want to start with that SB2, because people hear the names of this agenda or these names of these bills, but they don't really know how it's going to affect California and its officers in the real world. So dig into that and tell me what we need to know. Thank you, Tommy, for having me on your show. And thank you for your ardent support of law enforcement. Uh, it is very much appreciated and we need it now more than ever. SB2 uh, goes active in January. And what this is, is the decertification of law enforcement. And so what this means is that there are approximately nine points that will be up for uh, review for officers if they are engaged in allegations of misconduct or any sort of serious offense that is a Brady issue. And what this means is that the governor is going to be appointing a civilian board that will make recommendations to post as to whether or not an officer should be decertified. Whether or not there has been allegations of misconduct, if those allegations have been investigated and that officer has been cleared, they are still up for decertification. The log is retroactive. It goes back three years. And as of right now, uh, there are going to be thousands of police officers in California that are going to be up for decertification come January, which is going to significantly impact operations at those departments, which will also impact public safety. It's an absolute nightmare, and they won't have due process as they normally would if there's an allegation of misconduct. It goes through this new process that no one is certain about. It's very unclear, and I think that we're in a, in a real uh, world of hurt in California. I don't think that the voters truly understand what's coming but this is going to impact things as if things have not already been impacted enough in terms of law enforcement. You know, Nick, what really burns my ass here is that in California, officers are already demonized. They're already treated like thugs and felons, even though they're the ones responsible for putting thugs and felons behind bars, or at least trying their best to do so. But now essentially what you're going to have is people largely the thugs and felons themselves, they're going to complain and they're going to levy allegations against our law enforcement officers. And then these officers are now going to have to stand in front of what I believe will probably be a woke civilian board that will tell them that they are demons, that they are racists, that they are bigots, that they are intolerant and that they are bad at their jobs. And then you're going to have law enforcement officers that are going to be put in a very difficult position. But even more than that, we're going to have so many officers leaving the force because they're not going to want to deal with that. California is already going through a crime wave, a crime crisis, already has trouble with recruitment. What is this going to do for the morale of officers on the ground? 
uh, it's it's significantly hindering operations. It's significantly higher uh, impacting hiring, recruitment, ret- retention. Cops are leaving California. They don't want to be in California anymore. This war against cops has been very real. We've been feeling it very significantly in California. They're coddling criminals. And under the entire idea of three words, equity, inclusion, and diversity, they are giving essentially more rights to criminal offenders, career criminal offenders who are hurting community members. They're not holding them accountable. And they are making the job of a police officer even more complicated. Uh, so officers are lateraling to other agencies. They're leaving California. Some are retiring early and quitting altogether. Uh, even at departments where morale is decent, cops are still leaving because of the anti-police rhetoric. Uh, they, they're tired. They're beat up. And at the end of the day, uh, public safety is at risk. And I don't think that public safety should be a partisan issue. They're making it so every single time a police officer, for instance, every time they make a traffic stop or a citizen contact, they have to fill out an entire form as to whether or not the person was gay, straight, what their race was. Uh, they're discouraging proactive police work, and they, they, they've created tons of laws that don't hold criminals uh, accountable uh, while making it essentially not just impossible, They've essentially deemed all law enforcement officers racist under so many of these policies. SB2, in my opinion, is going to change the way law enforcement operates moving forward. Other states that have decertification uh, or similar laws do not have the lengthy texts in that bill uh, that other states do. This is something that we've never seen before. And for a job that's already... uh, as difficult as it is, especially in these last two years, um, I think it's going to change the landscape for our cops. No, it certainly is. Morale is already low, as you mentioned. And I think from talking to you and to other officers in California, the most difficult part for a lot of officers is not even just that they're being demonized on a daily basis, called racist and, and things of that nature. It's also because they're not able to actually do their job. When you are arresting people repeatedly and they keep getting out and they keep terrorizing communities and you're having to rearrest them only for them to be let back out, it is not only discouraging, you're not actually able to fulfill the duty that you're putting your life on the line to fulfill. And I can't imagine what that's like. I want to turn, Nick, before we talk about mental health, because we're going to get to that, it's so important. I want to talk about these prison closures as well, because that's something that you sounded the alarm. I don't think it's been a national conversation. We know California is married to this idea of reducing the prison population, which is why they have so much crime reclassification. They want to let people out and make it seem like they've done their job. But these prison closures, what is about to happen in California, and how is this going to impact crime and public safety? Right. Great question. So... In the last couple of years, the the state, the Department of Corrections, along with other stakeholders involved in this conversation, has been traveling to Norway and studying what's called the Norwegian model, which they want to bring to California. Uh, in my opinion, and, and many others' opinions, that the Norwegian model will not work in California. We have a population, a prison population uh, that is very different, completely different from Norway. The organized crime, the career criminal offenders, and the sheer violence inside the Department of Corrections with inmates decapitating others, uh, stabbing other people uh, is so significant, it just won't work. 
So what they've done is bring, they, they brought this model back to California. They rebranded the model from uh, the Norwegian model to California culture. And under the guise of mental health, they're pushing prison reform. They want to decarcerate. Uh, and so they have pushed for this radical idea. And they are closing now seven prisons in California. I believe that um, it's it's still very uh, early in this whole thing, but you've got significant amounts of correctional officers that are going to have to be relocated. Some have just purchased brand new homes and started families, uh, and and their future is very uncertain. And so, when you want when you talk about the calling of a, a, a criminal offenders, think about what it would be like to work in. California's uh, most difficult environment in a California prison. And they've changed the word inmate to a justice-involved individual, <laughs> a justice-involved person. If you're a staff member, work inside of the Department of Corrections, and you mispronoun an inmate, you'll be disciplined, you'll be written up. So. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen with the inmates. Seven closures has never happened in the state of California. Uh, we're talking about thousands of inmates and thousands of correctional officers that work uh, the toughest beat in the state. And public safety now, when you put SB2 in combination with the seven prison closures, uh, we this is a recipe for disaster. And our police officers, our correctional officers are already overworked. Uh, they are tired and impacting not just public safety, the mental health of our officers is never been more at stake. You know, I'm glad that you brought that up because I know Resiliency Project is dedicated to the mental health and the welfare of officers. So I want to get into that and, and the the rising suicide rates, the mental health crisis within the law enforcement community, law enforcement and Border Patrol, by the way, anyone that serves a law enforcement function. But let's get into that. What are the, some of the things that you're seeing that have been unique to these last couple of years in terms of officer mental wellness? Yeah, thank you for touching on that. And speaking of Border Patrol, before I forget, just a couple of weeks ago, they had three suicides in one week. Border Patrol is um, struggling significantly. In the last two years, we have seen uh, uh, mental health impacted in law enforcement specifically in a way that we have not seen before. We have seen because of politically motivated agendas and uh, politics immer immersing themselves into this profession. We saw a huge shift and change with law enforcement leadership around the country. We have uh, law enforcement officers that watch their police chiefs, for instance, kneeling to the same group of people who have been responsible for attacks on law enforcement, murders of law enforcement officers, and they take that and all the decisions made at the command staff level that is anti-law enforcement, essentially, as an act of betrayal. Organizational betrayal impacting law enforcement is significant because law enforcement officers expect that they're going to go see the worst of the worst and be exposed to uh, the violence that is perpetrated amongst the most uh, dangerous individuals in our community. But what they don't expect is to go back to their stations and be exposed to radical shifts 
in the way that law enforcement leaders operate disciplining officers to appease uh, the left and to appease anti-police uh, type of organizations or people. And so this lack of leadership uh, where chiefs are firing officers because a use of force that is justified or reasonable doesn't look good on camera, uh, prevents the law enforcement officers from doing their job. They're afraid to use force to protect themselves because they don't want to be the next uh, officer on, on the five o'clock news. And so cops are getting hurt. The public is at risk. And this is impacting their mental health more than ever. They, they expect to see the worst of the worst. They do not expect to get a stab in the back because of politically motivated agendas. Yeah, and I know from talking to you, from talking to so many officers, in places like California, it's especially bad. You know, there are other states, Tennessee being one of them, where there is a general respect and admiration for those who uphold the law, those who enforce the law, those that protect and defend communities. In certain states, like California, that doesn't exist. And I've said this often because I used to live in California, but I traveled to New York City a lot. New York City is also crime-ridden, but I will say this. There is still some sort of admiration for the NYPD. You don't see that in Los Angeles, for example, with LAPD. You just don't see it, and you don't see officers in every corner like you do in New York City. Yes, they have a crime crisis in both places, but I will stand by this. I think California is the absolute, absolute bottom of the barrel when it comes to not only enforcing the law, but the way that they treat the men and women who do the job. Absolutely. And to, if, you, if you think about this, from 2019 to 2020, the homicide rate jumped to 31%. The recidivism rate is higher than it, is, it has ever been. They're skewing the recidivism rate uh, when parole officers, when probation officers cannot violate those that they're monitoring, the highest, um, the, the most dangerous offenders in our system. When they can't violate their uh, conditions of probation or parole and can't send them back to prison or jail if they're in violation of the terms of their probation or parole, uh, there is no recidivism rate, right? They're skewing the numbers to make AB 109, Prop 47, and all these other radical policies that they uh, brought to fruition look successful. And local media does not cover the sheer violence that's going on and what's really happening at the governor's office. But between the legislatures and the governor's office, they're pushing the most dangerous policies that impact public safety. And when, if you think about it, officers are trying to keep the public safe before they're able to finish an arrest report. The offender that they arrested is already released into the public. The bail situation in Los Angeles has been catastrophic. These inmates that are being released uh, have been responsible for hurting law enforcement officers. People don't want cops to be proactive out here. You can't pursue anyone if they are committing uh, a criminal acts, unless it's a heinous crime. Cops are absolutely demoralized. They don't want to do their jobs as much as they love it. Uh, and it's becoming so increasingly impossible that most of the cops that are able to leave are leaving. I've never seen the situation as bad as it is. Uh, I've never, you know, our our uh, our director of peer support, who's also a board member, is a retired lieutenant from corrections, Kip Curtis. And he uh, 
for all the years that he's done in corrections, has never seen the situation as bad as it is from a correctional standpoint. And I don't think that people in California really understand what's coming. If you put the seven closures uh, with the Department of Corrections in combination with SB2, you have to, you get to a point where you realize that this is intentional. This is not, um, you know, this is a, these aren't just bad policies. This is intentional. No, Nick, it is, it is by design. It is certainly by design. And the leaders of that state have to own up to that. But unfortunately, the voters are not pushing that issue enough. Uh, I can't figure out for the life of me why they wouldn't vote to keep their cities and their streets clean and safe. But Nick, I know you guys are doing excellent work. You're supporting these officers in, in places where their departments have failed them, in places where the community has failed them. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you for always fighting the good fight, for speaking up for officers. And I'm honored to count you as a friend and as somebody that I talk to regularly. Nick, we'll talk to you very soon and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Tommy, and thank you for all that you do for our law enforcement officers. Always and forever. All right, coming up, she's a country music star, but if you think she's gonna shy away from talking politics, you don't know Ray Lynn. She joins me in Nashville next. She's a country music star, and you better believe she's unafraid of showing her patriotism, conservatism, and love of country. Joining me now is Ray Lynn. Hey, hey. Ray Lynn, it's good to see you. Good to see and you, I'm too. so happy that I get to share Nashville with so many talented people like yourself. But what you do, which is what I think is so important, is that you're conservative, you're yeah. patriotic, but you don't necessarily make that your brand. Your brand is just you put out music that people like. And Absolutely. I think that's the key in country music right now. What has been your perception of the changes you've seen in country over the last couple of years? I would just say the fact that you honestly feel the two sides of it. And when I moved here 10 year years ago, everybody had a difference in opinion, but nobody cared. And I want to go back to that. I want to go back to the fact that we could all believe differently and be in the same room and love each other and respect each other and your values and, and what makes you different. And and that honestly really, really has, has changed so much. And to me, it's just, to me, it's, it's honestly crazy. But when it comes to um, music, you know, I've, I've always been somebody that's been bold and spoke about things that, you know, probably are uncomfortable, wrote about things that I've gone through. I've always loved songwriting and the fact that you can tell your story. And, um, but yeah, so I've, when, when it came to coming out about being, it's so funny that you have to like, come out about being yeah. a conservative or patriot or whatever. When I started, and I wouldn't even say, I was just being more vocal about truth and mm -hmm. things that everybody was just saying, oh, everybody has to believe a certain way. And I'm like, no, not everybody believes that way. And that's okay. And, um, but you know, obviously people turn that around. <laughs> well, country music has a very diverse fan base, but yeah. I would say by and large, people that listen to country music are forgotten Americans in the heartland who love country, have always loved country, grew up Absolutely. on country, and they are probably more conservative in nature. Now that doesn't yes. mean that all country no, not fans all. are. There is a big diversity, especially because country music is changing so much for better or for worse, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Yes. But I think for me, the frustrating part being a country music fan mm -hmm. is watching the executives of country music and the wokeness of country music try to alienate fans that are conservative you know, it's one thing if you want to cater to everybody, but it almost seems like the top levels of country forgot who their base was, and that's frustrating. Yes, and this is the thing is you shouldn't alienate anybody. Like, I'm a fan of a lot of different artists. I'm not just a fan of country music. I'm a fan of a lot of pop music, R&B, 
music. If I didn't listen to all the people that I didn't agree with, I would have nobody <laughs> on my playlist besides a few. But you know what? I like music and I love songwriting and I love the stories that people love to tell. And and you made a great point about that. It's It sucks because, you know, we have forgotten in country music that a lot of the base is more conservative, hardworking people. And, and I wouldn't even just say conservative. They're just, you know, normal people, blue-collar families that live in flyover states. That's why I love that mm -hmm. Jason Aldean song because it's true. And when you forget who your fan base is, and you're expecting these artists on your label to abide by what you feel like is just in around you, this Nashville 615 or the media, you're never like, you're gonna start losing money and you're gonna start losing fans and that's what you're seeing. And it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's devastating. I'm glad you brought up Jason Aldean because I think this year, probably more than any year, there's been a lot of controversy in country yeah. music, which there really hasn't been that much in the no. past. But now it, there seems to be that and it's the squabbles. And I think country music fans are, are kind of sick of it, sick of the drama. But, you know, you've got people like Marin Morris that are constantly poking the bear, yeah. that constantly want to say something. And then you've got people like Brittany Aldean that are going to poke back. Yeah. But some of the nastiness that I've seen, you know, particularly calling Brittany Aldean like a white insurrectionist, Barbie, and, and this kind of thing, I just don't think that there's a place for it. And I don't think that that drama belongs in country music. It's almost disheartening to see. It is, especially when you speak about being pro-woman and you speak about, and if you're a true feminist, you want women to win. And I hate seeing women tear other women down. And um, yeah, I mean, I I love Brit. Brit's a really good person and inside and out. And it sucks when you put something out there and it gets completely twisted. Um, but you know, I my prayer and my hope for the future is that, you know, I'm not expecting, I don't expect anybody to believe the way that I believe. I don't expect anybody, I don't even expect to change your view on things, but I do want you to respect how I'm gonna raise my family, what matters to me, which is my daughter, my husband, um, the things that are important to me. Like my, my husband was in the, our military, my husband's a Green Beret. Like he's been in the military, my brother has been in the military. Like my, our country means so much to me and but if somebody else has a different story, like that's their story, but you have to respect mine. Right. And I think that's the part that we're losing that's so disheartening is the fact that we don't respect anybody being different than you. And we're teaching this new generation. Like I was talking to um, this girl that helps out with my daughter and she said like, if somebody doesn't agree with her, they just, they absolutely hate, you know, if, if you're conservative, right. they hate you. And I'm like, that's so awful because when you get into the real world, you're, real world, you're gonna meet people that don't agree with you, right. and you're not like. But there, I'm sure that you can find something in that person that you like, and it it just makes me sad. And that's why I feel like such a call to be more open about my beliefs. And I don't like. I think it's important for more people to speak the truth, because people like young girls and need to see us. Mm -hmm. not being afraid to speak what's on And that's heart. the biggest thing. Yeah. If that was the other side, the liberal side, and there were people that were afraid yeah. to be liberal, I would say don't be afraid to be liberal. If you believe it, yes. preach it. But the other side, they, they preach it and they're happy about it. We need to <clears throat> get on that same level 
on the other side. So there just needs to be a level playing field where everybody can have differences of opinion and we can all come together. But yeah. another thing you brought up is being a wife and being a mother. I know that's something that's so important to you. There's a lot going on right now as it comes to parents and children and what's going on in our society. I know that you were fired up about the Balenciaga ad yeah. campaign, which so many were. But raising a young woman in this day and age, what scares you the most? Well, the, the thing that scares me the most um, and the reason why I started being more outspoken is the sense of being or feeling like you can't speak up. The sense of like when I had Daisy, which was last year in 2021, something in me just changed. And it's just it naturally happens when you have it when you have a baby. It's just like everything, your whole perspective changes on life. But I feel like, you know, I would be nervous about, oh, my gosh, what's in the background when I post a photo or what's, you know, what, you know, what are people talking mm -hmm. like? And I was just so nervous about people knowing that I'm a conservative and I love Jesus and I love my country and I believe this certain way that they don't agree with. I was frightened for people to know. And I'm like, okay, what is that going to teach my daughter when she sees you know, her mom yelling at the TV, yelling at wanting things to change, but not doing anything to make that change. And so, you know, I hope, my fear is that I, I don't want it to keep going down this path, but my hope is that more people will be more outspoken and more bold in their beliefs. And that doesn't mean that you have to be not a lovely person and not somebody that's Christ-like and shows mm -hmm. Really, because I, I really don't, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm never going to beat the Bible over somebody's head or tell you this is the way you should believe. It's just about loving people and just understanding each other's differences wow. and being okay with that. And so my hope is that, you know, it'll be, um, hopefully the, you know, it swings the other way a little bit and she can find more people that, you know, are outspoken and bold. And I, and I hope that she feels that. And when she sees her mom, you know, on stage and doing interviews like this that she knows, okay, my mom stood up in a time when it wasn't cool to stand up and that's that's what I'm gonna do. But I mean, I, if I said that it wasn't hard, oh my gosh, all the time I get fired up. Like the Balenciaga stuff, to me, this whole situation is not even, it's a non-negotiable. If right. you look at that ad campaign and it doesn't make you feel some sort of way, as a mom or not, if that doesn't fire you up, you're I don't even want to hang out with you like right. I mean I can get along with anybody but if you look at that situation and you don't come out about it I, I just have nothing to say to you I mean it's absolutely disgusting and then they pull back the um the lawsuit they're not doing it and of course the reason why they're not doing it is because they approved well, the damn shoot. they had knowledge of it yeah, yeah they I had mean, knowledge of it you can't tell me I have not on the level of Balenciaga like you know our shoots are country on a farm whatever and but the approvals that go for just my yeah. little shoots are a lot. And you're gonna tell me a huge company like Balenciaga didn't have all that knowledge? They absolutely did. They're disgusting. And I, yeah, I just can't with them. Well, and you spent some time in LA, which I yes. think is such a big difference the LA mindset, I lived in LA for a number of years Ooh. as well. And the LA mindset is just different because they look at things like being a Trump supporter as just horribly horrific. But then <laughs> things like exploiting children is artistic. Yeah. So it's a different value system and it's a different way of life. And I just hope we can get back to, at least in our little corner of Nashville, Tennessee, just some sort of normalization of things that are normal and decent and God-fearing. Like, that would be nice. And I, I just, I feel like it's honestly, and I was talking to a friend about this, 
it's a sin to be married. It's a sin to love Jesus. It's a sin to want our country to have, like, stand for values. Like, it's a, a sin to have values and, and to, like, speak about things. And I'm like, when did this all become so backwards? Like, I'm in, and so that's, that really gets to me. And I did live in L.A. for a bit, but even L.A. 10 years ago is so different yeah. than L.A. today. And I went recently for an event, um, and I still have friends, and they're like, they're like, you're just, uh, you're the, you're, they're like, what's it like being married, or what's it like having a baby? And I brought my baby to one of my friends' houses in L.A., and of course, they're all still single. They're doing the same thing, which is awesome. I'm like, go for it. But then it's it's so sweet though because it's like they're so sweet when it comes to my marriage, and they can't they, they call me the old lady because I've been married for seven years, and they're like, oh, in Texas you get married when you're twelve. And I'm like, no, you idiot. But like, they're just it's a totally different mindset, and I and I'm okay with that. But it's like, right. you know, they they've always just said, but you're you're like one of the only people that's conservative that we can hang out with because you're cool. And I'm like, no, we're all a lot most of conservatives of us are, are cool. A lot of conservatives are cool. Yeah, like, you know, I'm, and we're normal and I, and too. I, and I can have a conversation with them. Like we we had a great talk about certain things. And they, you know, they were like, I just love how open you are. I'm like, we're all open. Like most of us are. And if and if you aren't, then you're not willing to grow and you're not willing to learn. Cause not every like I said this earlier, like everybody has a different story to make them the person that they are. And that's that's great. Right. So well, and I think that something else that you stand for and that you say that I think is so important, not only that resonates in your music, but just in your personality and something that I hope that I embody as well is that conservatives can be stylish, we can like fashion, we can like reality yes. TV, we can swear sometimes, we can drink sometimes, we can dance, we can have fun. Like we're not just in this little box of, you know, boring prudish people. We're not, we have fun. We just happen to love our country and want it to do well, like God forbid. Yeah. So I think that that's an important thing that's gonna change things is, is people like you, hopefully people like me, yeah. people can see it as like, oh, you know, they're not aliens. It's not like going to the petting zoo of conservatives. Like, no. oh, little conservative, you're so weird. No, we're, we're really the same we're, as you. We're normal people and we've always been normal people. I've been conservative my whole entire life and just now I'm starting to be treated differently, but I've been the same person. The same person you fell in love with at 18 when I moved here is the same girl I am today. And if you need, if something were to happen to some of my friends that don't speak to me anymore, I would pick up that call and help them because I still love them and care about them. That's but, what makes you know. conservatives a little different. Yeah. Raylan, thank you so much for spending Aww. so much time with us. Of and course. I hope that we see you out at, at Losers or in Nashville one of these yes, days. Yes, probably will. Listen, I do love Jesus, but I do love to take a tequila shot. Well, so. there you go. And I think that's the perfect <laughs> way to wrap it up. All right. Up next, Joe Biden is ready to send more of your hard-earned tax dollars overseas, and it's even more infuriating than you'd imagine. My final thoughts are next. We've already hemorrhaged nearly $70 billion in aid to Ukraine, and now Joe wants us to pay for South Africa to close its coal mines? Are you freaking kidding me? It's time for final thoughts. Folks, I, for one, am sick and damn tired of sending our hard-earned tax dollars to other countries. We've already sent $68 billion and counting to defend Ukraine's border, meanwhile releasing a Russian arms dealer, which makes total sense if you're an idiot and or Joe Biden. But wait, it gets better. Now Joe is pledging your tax dollars to South Africa so that it may close its coal plants and be less dependent on fossil fuels. I kid you not. Take a listen and try to follow along. At the G7 meeting earlier this year, we announced our intention to collectively mobilize $600 billion in the next five years. Today's announcement, joint 
join a portfolio of partnership for global infrastructure investment projects already underway in Africa, including mobilizing $8 billion in public and private finance to help South Africa replace coal-fired power plants with renewable energy sources and develop cutting-edge energy solutions like clean hydrogen. A deal worth $2 billion to build solar energy projects in Angola. $600 million in high-speed communications cable that will connect Southeast Asia to Europe via Egypt and the Horn of Africa. So we're going to do what now? We're going to subsidize their green infrastructure too? Of all the things Joe and friends waste money on, this giant dumping of funds into this sham green agenda is the most infuriating. And meanwhile, we've got tens of thousands of Americans jobless thanks to Joe's cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline. Billions of dollars worth of American energy independence flushed down the compost-friendly toilet. And we're still going to now send billions to Africa to get them on the same track? This is what happens when you have people in office who worship at the altar of trees and plants instead of the Lord Almighty. And furthermore, these third world nations don't need Biden's Green New Deal. They need to utilize fossil fuels and industry. And it's unbelievable to me that this administration is fine with robbing Americans of industries, high paying jobs and entire sectors of the economy in the name of green, but can't even be bothered to fly commercial as they schlep their self-righteous behinds around the world to deliver their drivel. And again, guess who is footing the bill? We, the perpetually screwed over people, that's who. And a word of caution to African nations. Do you really trust a word this man says? I mean, come on. Cisco Systems and Cyber, Cyber Bastion, a diaspora-owned small business. Try to close caption that, I challenge you. Look, let the leaders of Africa decide if they do or do not want to hug their own trees. Leave our tax dollars in America where they belong. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show as well as exclusive content, of course, on Outkick.com. From Nashville, God bless and take care.